Welcome to the world of stand-up. So what I heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, I've never seen any of the specifics. I heard that Yeezy accounts for 60% of the sales at Adidas. Uh, that's what I heard. That's bananas. Did you did you also hear he came out and said Sway did have the answers? Yeah, I saw that. You I saw like, that? How Sway? How was Sway? <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, he's got that shitty anger. Like, Sway did have the answers. He did have the answers. That was funny, dude. Yeah, I, like I that. saw that. I like that guy, dude. Okay, I got to I gotta admit something, and you motherfuckers cannot judge me here, okay? So the wife and I just recently started watching the Kardashians show. The one on Hulu? Yeah, like the new one. Okay. Okay. I can feel your judgment, bro. Like, that's not cool. No, no, uh, I won't verbalize any judgment. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present an idea to you that might make you okay. look at these things different, okay? So anyway, there, there was like the whole dynamic of what was going on with, with Ye and the divorce and Kim and, you know, skeet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's interesting to watch kind of how that guy just handles his shit because he just handles it. Ye? Yeah. He, just handle, he doesn't put up with nothing. Well, he doesn't put up with nothing, but I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that handling his shit, mm. unless, unless you think like, I mean, because it's, it's, to me, it's like he's, I mean, it's like a freakout, it's like a public freakout. Yeah, but I mean, we, th- we only think that's out of line because we don't have the balls to do it that way ourselves. I mean, it does take balls to buy the house across the street. Yeah, from your ex. Yeah, so you can see what's going on. Yeah, there was a, an episode we watched where like. <laughs> He got hired like a fire truck and a f- bunch of firemen to drive his kids to school. <laughs> that's well, that's dope. It's kind of dope. That's dope. And Kim was there like being cool. Anyway, I was gonna say this. I used to before I watched that show, I used to hate on that show. And I used to be like, Kim Kardashian is a vapid piece of shit. Chris Jenner is the devil. Like Caitlin, whatever. Chloe's sweet, but you know, everybody has their idea, right? <laughs> I started watching that show and no shit. That show is 100% about winning. If you watch them, she's getting Vogue's cover of the year. She's doing SNL. Like she's, it's all this like list of shit where they're just succeeding. And it's crazy because my wife is the same age as Kim Kardashian. Well, two of them are billionaires, right? Yeah, Kim is and, and Kylie. Yeah. And like Chris, who's the manager, she's worth $400 million. Chloe's worth like $80 million. She's just along for the ride, yeah. you know? Kendall Jenner, she's a supermodel that's like fully – like she's on everything. Whatever happened to their brother? That's a good question. I ain't seen that. I ain't seen that dude. I ain't seen in a minute either. He's off brand, I guess. He doesn't. He's he doesn't not hurting though. Mold. You know, he's not hurting though. Oh, for sure, dude. But it was. I. I had to like. I had to slow my roll with the judgment because I'm like, dude. To be 41, I don't care that she got her start with Ray J, dipping I, her down. I mean, I. There's I mean, I there's some care. articles coming out saying that was all staged. It was like, and I still and I get. I mean, that there's the two or three of, other videos that they're gonna, you know, could have been released. That was in one of the shows I watched. Kanye went and worked the deal and got him from Ray J. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's never gonna be released. And here's the thing: Ray J is pissed that Kim was acting on the show like she was the victim. Oh. Because it came out that basically. There was three videos to choose from when they came out 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and Chris and Kim chose the one they were going to release. And I'm like, oh, my God. Really? I'm just sitting around with your mom. Hey, Mom, where do I look hottest while he's dicking me down? Like that's, <laughs> I never want to talk with my mom like that, you know? But it was a good choice for them. It, well, dude, yeah. I mean, if you can swallow your pride, <laughs> among other things. Other things <laughs> so. it's, I mean, look where they're at now. Yeah, dude. My whole point was that is that, like, I'm watching this person, and, like, you see – uh, they get tons of criticism for whatever, and, and a lot of it's justified, and a lot of it's just hate because of jealousy. But, dude, they're, they, they seem like a cool family. 
they all are into each other. Like they're all like cool and supportive of one another, which you don't see that anymore nowadays. Everybody hates their family. Secondly, they're fucking winning, dude. So many I, things you know, really for me. I don't. I don't hate. I really don't. Um, if I could be in their shoes, hell yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. My my biggest hang up with them um, is is their mindset. Like it's not the winning mindset. It's just some of the um, their ideas. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just it's just <laughs> such an opposite world from where I come from. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and I can appreciate you probably have to have a different mindset to achieve their level of success. Yeah. And that's not necessarily what I'm re- uh, referencing, but um, just some of the things they say, I'm just like. It's true, dude. Well, and, and I think one of the reasons why they keep that show is because it, like, allows them a platform well, so to, like, do so their There's so many people that watch it. Oh, tons. still. I mean, Dude, Ryan Seacrest is the executive producer of that, and he's been that since the 20 years ago. That motherfucker is flossing just yeah, from he, Kardashians. He's, yeah, he's... And I have to tell you something as a comedian that's funny to me right now, to have a hard motherfucker like you sitting here talking about the Kardashians or stuff. Look, show. I'm diverse. <laughs> I'm diverse, okay? This is David Goggins-looking motherfucker man. over here. You know what I mean? Like, I play video games and work out. I watch, I mean, Singing in the Rain. Ooh. and Like old school musicals? Yeah, I okay. grew up. I grew up. Uh, both my grandma, my mom loved that stuff. Okay, you know what I mean. I appreciate that. That's and good. then yeah, and then um, but I also you know my first movie me and, and my brother ever watched in theaters when I was I think I was f- five, four or five uh, was Die Hard. You know what I mean. And so I, I get down like that too. Okay, you know some John. Mulcahy so since you're bringing that up, is Die Hard a Christmas movie or is it an action movie? That's the, that's every every Christmas. It's like you got to watch Die Hard. It's like, well, I, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say yeah. Yeah, because if uh, that's a Christmas movie. Okay. Because if you're not like, watching it the rest of the year, only when it's around Christmas, then it's a, it's a Christmas movie. That's for true. You know what I mean? I like it. Dane Peterson, everybody, welcome to the show, my man. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. I'm excited. excited I'm excited to be here. too. You have a great story. And I'm I'm uh, and plus, you know, you're a cop, so it's fun to like have a cop that you're friendly with, at least when you're not in yeah. uniform. Drop my name, man. Drop I my name. I should have, dude. My wife, we, we were coming down from Oktoberfest on Sunday, and we're just in Sandy right there by the McDonald's and stuff yeah. on 2000 East yeah. and 94, and we're just going like 50 or something. That's Yeah, and drop my name, this man. guy's sitting right there, pulls us over. She got a ticket. I didn't know to drop your name because I didn't know you were a Sandy PD guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but I, I you know, I'm, I get around okay. West Jordan, Salt okay. Lake, West Valley, so you're a de- so you're a police officer. You're a detective. Detective now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're on the beat. Uh, yeah. It's it's the family crimes unit. I mostly deal with domestic violence, child abuse. Ooh. Um, so the fun stuff. <laughs> you the, get to see the, some shit you can't unsee. It seems like. D- definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's that's how it's been my entire career. You know, I started off down at the prison, and I mean, you you watch prison movies, yeah, and you're like, damn, that shit is crazy. It it. The stuff you see in the movies, it don't even compare. Right. I'm I'm dead serious. It don't even compare. That seems like a common theme, man. I uh, I'll tell you this just real quick story before we we finish on this. But um, a guy that I know really well, he used to be a spy in the CIA, mm-hmm. and he was in Reagan's White House as an advisor. Okay. And this was about it was like ten years ago. We were talking a lot. We'd both get a little drunk and just get on the phone and chat with each other while yeah. my wife was playing bunko or some shit. Yeah. You know, he's old. He's like in his seventies. Really interesting guy. I was watching House Cards and I go, "Is is this shit real, man?" 
He's like, dude, he's like, this is child's play compared to what's real. <laughs> and I'm like, really? He's like, oh, you have no idea. And I go, tell me one thing that is a lie that Americans are told to believe that is true. Did I say that right? Tell me something that's true that Americans are believe is a lie. And he goes, the idea that we don't negotiate with terrorists. He's like, we give them so much fucking money. Trying to get information and everything. I'm like, anyway, I mean, so yeah, I've 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 heard I've been in some so there's circles. There's that level, and then heard. there's you with the family crimes unit. We're like, you won't believe it. It's not well, family crimes, but I mean, like I said, at the prison. I I I'm grateful I started down off at the prison, um, where you just kind of get thrown in the fire because when you're what's, out here, what's on that the, mean? When you're out here on the street, um, not everyone's a criminal. You know what I mean? There's gonna right. be there's gonna be situations and issues and incidents that you respond to, that there's going to be people that are innocent, people that are bystanders, and then there's maybe one, two, yeah. three suspects. Um, in the prison, everybody's a suspect. You're like, it's easy. I you know, know what I mean? Did it. And, and <laughs> you know, and the, and the key is, um, my, my thing was just be ready for anything. You really have to. Any, any day, any given second even, Something can pop off, and you're like, "Holy shit! What the hell? What the hell is going on? Like, shit can pop off in an instant." Yeah, I mean, there was there was a time where we were walking the blocks when I was on the SWAT team down there, and dudes just started shanking each other. You know, a um, couple rival gang members that were undocumented were out, uh, and they just started shanking each other in, in the yard. When you say they're undocumented, it means that like they weren't in the system as a, as a gang member or. Yes, yeah, so, so so they know about so that. So corrections like, has a yeah, about, corrections okay. has a system where um, if they're a known gang member, they're documented, and so that way they can be housed uh, separate from certain gangs. So that right. way, um, it doesn't you know it doesn't cause a riot or a fight or shanking or worse. So this guy slipped through the system. Two of them did, and and the thing was, um, these wow, two of man. these guys were there were. Uh, Pro, like probies, probationers, they're trying mean? to prove themselves oh, okay. to actually make make it onto the gang. Or I don't know that you know I'm not uh, familiar with that lingo, but they were they were trying they were trying to prove themselves, you know. So shit shit gets real in the prison. I mean, I've seen some shit. Um, like you said, you you I will never unsee. I will never unsee. And when I see or hear certain things in life. That shit just comes right back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have you had to do therapy or any sort of thing to like kind of handle it? No, oh, man. No, I, I'm, I'm a huge, <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, I'm a huge proponent for people that need it. Please, yeah, absolutely. Go get that. You know what I mean? Um, but part of the reason why is because the way, the way that I was raised was in a hard, hard-ass household. Um, my father came from uh, the island of Samoa. He was raised in Samoa. And his father, my grandfather, um, I guess if you think about child abuse, um, if you think about the worst child abuse case that you've heard, um, that shit is probably an understatement when it comes That's to like a Tuesday. what my father went through. You know what I mean? There, when, if he got picked on at school, uh, my grandfather would walk my father to who, wherever that kid's house was and make my dad beat his ass or else he was going to get fucked up if he came home. And then, um, and that happened all the time. There was an instance where I can't remember what the issue was with my father, but 
my grandfather tied him to a post and and beat the shit out of him until my grandfather was tired. And it ended up breaking his collarbone and I think one of his arms. And he left him tied there all night till the next day. Holy shit. Yeah. All day. How is all night. your grandpa not in jail, bro? Like Samoa, man. You know what I mean? There's there's no like child abuse laws over there. It even got to a point where if you I don't know if you know a lot of Polynesians, but child abuse is like that's like second nature, you know what I mean? I yeah. you know, we grow up with that. There's an anger there. For sure. Yeah. And and an expectation of discipline and respect, you know, and so it got so bad with my grandfather and my dad that uh, a lot of the people from the village rushed over to stop my grandfather from what he was doing to my father. I mean, so if you can even imagine that, that's how horrible it was. And so him growing up with that, and that's all he knows, like he's, my grandfather's walking over to people's houses to beat their ass. So in his mind, he's like, I gotta be, I gotta be the fucking alpha. Right. Or my dad's gonna beat the shit out of me. And he's going through all this shit, just like slowly like destroying him, but also toughening him up. Like that saying, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. That shit was real with my dad. And that's what I, that's the man I grew up with. So how did that, so is your father still alive? He passed away in January, 2018. Okay. Had he softened in his older age? Did he start to see that maybe he, that wasn't the way? He, he softened a well. Because after high school, he still beat my ass. Because uh, <laughs> my, my dad, like, if you look at me, like, my dad in his prime, like, he makes me look small, you know? And so, um, I mean, I, where do I start? Um, I think one time when I was a kid, I was washing dishes too loud. I mean, I was doing, I was being a good boy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was washing dishes too loud. And he grabbed a kitchen chair and just, I think I told you before, yeah, and he just threw on. that shit and broke it on me, you know? Um that that was the norm. That's what I knew, you know. I mean, it wasn't uncommon for my dad to hit me with a closed fist. You know what I mean? That's part what of. What your mom think about this? My mom hated it, you know. And and um, she is the main reason why he ended up changing and and doing a, a complete one eighty. She did her best to protect us, but he. I mean, he grew up in a savage. Right. You know what I mean. And so for me and for, you know, um, my brother, it's, it's hard for us to really blame my dad because of what he went through, you know. And, and I, I mean. What, hold on. What an interesting sort of perspective of forgiveness. And this guy's, I mean, let's, let's pull you out of the situation sure, and, and sure. not look at it that it's your father, but look at it. There's a young boy. There's a dad. Dad had some shit from his dad. Like, that's rough, dude. And to, like, be able to have compassion for him when you're getting your licks, it's, I don't know if that's submission or if that's maturity. Like, that's a rough place to be, you know, regardless to be. It was situation. almost like a forced maturity, you okay. know what I mean? Because where else was I going to go? Yeah. You know what I mean? Our family was broke. We were poor, you know what I mean? Um, I had nowhere else to go. My I'm, my. Any other family I was going to go to, they was just as broke as us and probably couldn't afford to take me on. You know what I mean? So um, it may have been a forced maturity, but at the same time, as much, you know, as much energy as my dad brought to that scary, you know, um, abusive side, he also brought that same amount of energy and maybe even more to the teaching side. 
and he and he realized um, his demons pretty early on when I was a kid, and even when I grew up and had my own kids and stuff. I mean, there wasn't a time when I met, sat with him, and hung out with him, and spent time with him where he wasn't still apologizing for what he did to us when I was younger. You know, and so for for me, so he did soften there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I I've looked up to him my entire life. One of the re, one of the things. Um, that helped me to just not be scared of, of anything was he was so fucking scary and he hit me so fucking hard that even to this day, I've never been hit harder than anyone else by anyone else. And that's including, I'm talking about, and, and I play football a little bit right. and I got my bell rung <laughs> and I'm like, no, my dad still hit harder than that motherfucker. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's a funny thing to say. Can you hit me harder? My dad hits harder than you. That's exactly right. It's like, oh, you, I, you know, my first fight I get hit and I'm like, I thought he was playing around because I was like, yeah. is that it? Because my dad hit harder than, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, so it, it, and it all kind of um, adds to the mindset that I, I slowly developed that I, um, you know, for a while I didn't realize I was developing. Um, I was terrified of my father. I respected the hell out of him. Um, and, in, and in his older age, he really um, turned into a, a fantastic teacher trying to use his own experience on having us, me and my brother, and it, uh, be better than him. I mean, I still, I read an email from him that I had, you know, um, from years ago, and that's the last thing he said is be better than me, you know? And so for me, um, I just took on that mindset of like, I'm not scared of anything, um, and I need to be better than him. And he works his ass off on whatever he does. When I started at the prison, when I was in the academy, we had a class that was taught by um, the SWAT team. And when I, when I saw them walk in, they walked in with like a vibe that was like, oh, shit. You know, you're like, I need to get my shit together. Yeah. I wanted to be that. As soon as I saw them, I didn't even hear them teach yet. I was like, that, I'm going to do that. I'm what do you think made that swatting. vibe happen? Like there's, there's, a, there's a, that vibe is constructed somehow, like it's built. So for them to have that sort of effect on you, they come with a certain energy, a certain swag, a certain confidence. They walked in, they didn't say shit. They just walked in. I don't know if it was their body language or their posture um, or all the above, but they walked in with like such a confidence that if whatever incident was in front of them, they could handle that shit. And I was like, I want to be that. I want to do that. So after the class, I talked to the lieutenant that came in, the SWAT lieutenant that came in, and I was like, I want to do this. And he's like, as soon as we get an opening, test for it. Two and a half years later, I had been, in my mind at that time, I had been training, running every day, a couple miles, lifting weights, and just getting ready to test to make to be a part of this team. Right. Um, I test, and I test number one. Out of uh, seventy-five guys, I test number one. So I'm thinking, I'm the shit, dude. Like, I I I put my mind to this shit. Right. All that shit you hear about, like, if you believe you can achieve, I was like, I believe that like, shit. I'm living an R. Kelly song. Right yeah. Now. I was like, <laughs> I'm number one. Fuck yeah, I'm the best. 
couple weeks later, I, I learned real quick, I wasn't shit, real quick, that there's, there's levels to this shit. Like they say, there's levels to this shit. Yeah. And I was at the, the bottom. What I thought was, re, you know, my, my highest peak was scraping the bottom of the barrel. So what was it about that swag that you saw and then the dip that continued to inspire you? Because you ended up becoming a SWAT team member. Mm-hmm. And it's been a part of, like, are you currently on SWAT? No, not okay. anymore. So you were. Now you, you're just. Yeah, you, I, yeah, I made SWAT. I even got promoted to sergeant on the SWAT team. Okay. At three years or three and a half years. Okay. Youngest uh, SWAT sergeant. Okay, so what history. does that mean? What it, If you're the sergeant on a SWAT team, what does that mean? What do you do? So we have, on, on our team at that time, we had two crews. And so I was, uh, and, and each crew took time um, being on a call. They took time, you know, uh, if there was an incident popping off down at the prison, we would handle it. So I was in charge of my own crew to handle disturbances, incidents within the prison or within corrections as a whole. And so I was, I was the team leader for my own SWAT team. My, I guess my own portion of the SWAT team. But to, to get to that point from, from when I tested, that was a massive gap there. Sure. Massive gap. Um, and me coming in thinking I'm the shit now, like that's who I am. Like um, it was, you know, I, 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 I learned real quick that no. Yeah. So I, I'm going to re-ask the question because I'm not think I'm getting it from you. What oh, so the, so what, what was uh, What do you do? So the SWAT team, um, basically, if if law enfor- to put it simply, if law enforcement, if, if cops need help, they call SWAT. Okay. If they can't do it, we come in and do it. What does SWAT stand for? It's Special Weapons and Tactics. Okay. So. Um, so it's the Mario mushroom for cops, like. Pretty much, you, you take that star. Little, little team Mario's in- jumping around, you're like, oh, droo, 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 droo. yeah, droo, exactly. Droo, droo. Got it. So, um, but that vibe, like you were kind of alluding to. Um, it was just that confidence. It, and I think, uh, looking back now, it kind of reminds me of how my dad was. Um, cause I would have friends come over or just random people would come and meet my dad and they're like, they were already intimidated and he, you know, they would just see him. They wouldn't even have a conversation. They were just already intimidated. That's how he walked around, you know? And that's kind of, I got a little bit of that vibe when they walked in to teach that class that day. And I really looked up to my dad. I really wanted to emulate that and then be better than that. So what did I have to do? I had to be harder than these guys. I had to be tougher than my dad. And that was a that was a huge, huge task in my mind. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, man, I what what my dad went through, how the hell am I supposed to push past that? Well, during training for SWAT, you you are a potential team member until you successfully complete SWAT school and until you successfully complete the law enforcement academy. Our next SWAT school for us was a year out. Um, So from that point on, I realized they would train us every single day. Um, We worked five days a week. So they train us every day. And if you, and and it's like almost like a miniature boot camp because once you clock in, if they told you, get your ass on the front lawn, grab all your gear. That's exactly what we were doing. If they told us to get our ass on the obstacle course and pick up that fucking, you know, old telephone pole, that's exactly what we're doing. And that's how that shit was every day for a year. How would it compare to like BUDS training for SEALs? BUDS, BUDS is top tier. Sure. Um, 
and I would are there say elements that are similar. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, when I watch when I watch buds, um, as I was training for SWAT, I was like, oh, we we do that shit, or we've been through that shit, um, all that swimming shit. That's you know we don't we don't touch that. We didn't we didn't get into that really, um, which was kind of to my downfall because um, the Salt Lake SWAT school, um, their their old lieutenant was uh, ex seal. And he had us doing swim PT all the time. I drowned twice in that school because I was like, fuck that. I'm not quitting. I'll drown in this motherfucker before I quit. And that shit, they had to pull me out twice. Um, but I learned real quick that every day they're training us, they can only take us to a certain point. And then the day's over. We go home and all that. And I was like, okay, they can only push me a certain, to a certain point. I have no fucking limit to where I can push myself. So I started tailoring my own personal workouts. After we train all day at work, I would go home and train myself. I'd say, okay, we need to keep our gun out for, for hours because that's what they want us to do. So I started tailoring shit to just strengthen my shoulders. Oh, we're going to fucking run everywhere in gear. So I started looking for amphitheaters and stairs and, mount- and hills and eventually a mountain to push myself so fucking hard so that when I get back to work to train, that shit's a breeze. I wanted to push myself so fucking hard so that when I'm training with these guys, I'm, it's like I'm not even sweating. That was my goal. And I don't, there wasn't like a specific time where the light just clicked on. I'm like, fuck my limits. I'm going to push past that shit. Okay, so I want to dissect this a little bit because uh, as – as we discussed before we started recording, it's been an interesting morning for me. I got to hang out a little bit with Tim Grover, yeah. author of Relentless and Winning, and Kobe Bryant's coach. Uh, the greatest. Michael Jordan's coach. Second greatest. Yeah. Ooh, gauntlet thrown. Um, and uh, he – I'm curious about your motivation in this because – and I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you. Tim shared this story about true success and true winning, and he, he gave it as, a, as an allegory of two pots. He's like, there's these two pots, and each pot has a wizard. And this pot over here on the left is called motivation. And it's got the let's goes. It's got the you can do it. It's got the you're turning on the speech, and you're getting fired up. And everybody likes this pot. And everybody over at this pot is buddies, and they're cool. And they're lighting each other's fires over on this pot. But they don't win. And the other pot is for elevation, not motivation, elevation. And over here, it's late nights and early mornings. It's being a self-starter. It's lighting your own fire. It's knowing why you're doing it. It's actually winning. It's having few friends. It's prioritizing winning and your goal, being obsessed with your goal over everything else. And he says the problem is, is that most people think that you go to the motivation pot to win. You don't. But this pot is a different one because it's all you. And he says that doubt and lack of confidence are most of the time created by other people that you buy into. And that you still have control. And the way that you control that and the way you get more confidence and the way that you remove doubt is through winning. He's like, fear is instinctual. You're going to feel fear. You don't have to feel doubt. Yeah. And so when I hear a story like this from you, I'm like, why? Like, what about, what was the goal? What were you obsessed with that made you already take this day-to-day arduous training and be like, that's not enough. I'm going to go do this stuff other here so this gets easier. 
that's a different gear, bro. Like, where does that come from? So when I when I when I saw those guys walk in the classroom, I was like, that's me. I want to do that. Okay. And when I got to that, when I got to the house and I was, you know, posted at the house um as my position, um, I was like, damn, these guys are on another level. I at that time, the first couple of weeks, I was like, I don't know if I can even reach where these guys are at. And it wasn't until maybe a couple months in that I started to notice they can only push themselves so hard. They, I can, they can only push me so hard. And I don't, like I said, there's, there's not a definitive time. I, I learned that I don't have any fucking limits. I learned that if I see a workout and that shit's hard, if you're looking at, oh, damn, that shit's hard. I'm going to try to think of any way possible to make that shit disgustingly evil to where you look at it like you're going to fucking get destroyed doing this. And so I looked at it as like, I'm going to destroy myself. So when these fucking guys try to train me at work, they can't touch me. And it wasn't long before I surpassed every single one on that fucking team. It wasn't, it wasn't even close after a while. And so the week after we graduated SWAT school, I promoted a sergeant. And now I was in charge of the guys that were training me on the team. That's where my fucking mindset was. My captain at the time saw that shit. Before, the night before we went to SWAT school, he called me and said, apply for the SWAT, the SWAT sergeant position. I didn't ask him why. And I didn't feel like I didn't deserve that shit. Because this entire year, I'd been working my fucking ass off. I did the math um, a couple weeks ago. Through, throughout that entire year, I did over 73,000 push-ups. And that's just one aspect. In a year. In that year leading up to SWAT school, I did over 73,000 push-ups. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at math when I have a calculator. Let me figure that out. 73,000 divided by 365, that's 200 a day. At least 200. Did I do that right? No, no, no. Yeah, that's, that's, I remember it because I know I didn't count when we were training and they made us do push-ups. I didn't count that shit. I counted when I did push-ups on my own. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so when we went through SWAT school, my, everything that I envisioned about them trying to keep, beat the fuck out of me and, the, and me just smoking the fuck out of everything they throw in my path was happening. That shit was, was actually happening. The first day um, that they came, they ran us down to our obstacle course. The first day of SWAT, well, the, I, I guess day zero is what they call it. It's like Saturday night going into Sunday morning. Um, they threw me first on the obstacle course. They wanted to like um, see if I was what I was about. I, I, I never really bragged. I still don't like to brag. Um, but I smoked the obstacle course, and then we went to another evolution, smoked that shit. We went to shooting, and I was smoking it, and then they had two instructors standing right here talking shit to me. You're going to fucking miss, Peterson. You're going to fucking miss. Squeeze on target every fucking, every fucking round because I had trained so fucking hard and pushed myself so fucking hard past everything that our SWAT team was assigning us to do. I was double, triple, quadrupling it. So that way, when I came to SWAT school, I was going to smoke the fuck out of it. So what'd you get out of that? Like, what was your personal takeaway? 
Because you know that's odd, right? Like that's not a normal. I didn't know that. And honestly, like I had a, I had a name for it when I started devising Mamba mentality. <laughs> no, <laughs> I told this to my wife, and she's like, "That's that's a stupid name. You should name it something else." And I was like, "It is a stupid name, but that's the name I had when I was going through." So I would devise these these horrible workouts, um, and then I I would just flip on the dumb switch because anyone in their right mind the dumb switch the dumb switch okay because anyone in their right mind would look at a workout like that and they're like, "Fuck that! I'm not doing that." Any reasonable, intelligent person will look at these workouts and be like, I'm not fucking doing that. I, I had carried so much weight. I added so much weight to my own gear that I actually had a bunch of micro fractures up and down my shins when I went through squat school. And it fucking hurt to walk. Did you just live with constant pain? All the time. I felt like if I wasn't hurting, I wasn't training hard enough. And it didn't fucking count if I felt good in the workout. It's like I, I heard a quote from uh, Muhammad You're Ali. You're to the pain, bro. That's the only way to fucking grow. That's you know what true, I mean? But I like your I like. The In my mind, it was the only way to fucking grow, to reach these heights and to accomplish these things and to achieve and, and pass every fucking everyone else in the field. I had to fight through the pain. And, and eventually, I got addicted to the pain. I, like I said, I, I heard a quote from Muhammad Ali. There was a reporter that asked him a question, how many sit-ups can you do? And he said, I don't know. I don't count until they start to hurt. And so to me, that was like, that shit, none of this shit where I'm feeling good running, lifting, and I'm feeling good, that shit don't count yet. Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. Do you feel that you're worthy of success? Fuck yeah. I work my ass off. What I work if you my had ass off. ass off? Would you still be worthy of success? If I didn't work my ass off? Mm-hmm. I would say no. Okay. I would say no. I feel like... If I if I'm gonna deserve something, if if I didn't I'm gonna say deserve, I said worthy. If I'm gonna, well, I feel like if you're worthy, you deserve things. it. If I'm gonna be worthy of something, I need to earn that shit. Okay, you know what I mean. I don't I don't want any handouts. You know what I mean. I don't I don't like that. Okay. Um, even if we're going somewhere in, in uniform and, and at a restaurant, they're like, you get it for free. I'll pay for it because I don't like that. I don't like handouts. Okay. You know, I, I got I want to work from everything I got. Because to me, it's like, it's more valuable to me if I earn that shit myself. So what does success mean to you then? Success. And are you successful? Do you consider yourself successful? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And the first thing that pops in my mind is I'm a better father than my dad was. And that's, and I know if he was here, he would say the same thing. Um, And that was the first and, and most important thing that my kids didn't see that monster yeah, that, dude, that's... that is inside me. Um, the way I was raised wasn't anything close to what my dad was, uh, the way he was raised, but um, it was horrible, Bryce. It was, it was horrible. And I have that demon inside me. I just learned to channel that into something a lot more constructive and, and something that's more beneficial for me. And that's why I was able to succeed and push myself and, and, and accomplish what I was able to accomplish. I mean, um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't mention it, but day, day two in SWAT school, they were already recruiting me to, to apply for Salt Lake and their SWAT, to, and their SWAT team. Um, that's, that's, so how did you transition that? Because it sounds like to you SWAT was like the end all. But now you're not on it and you're a detective now. That's a good question. So that's a, that, that's a really that good shift? question. So I, I achieved what I thought at the time was 
I'm, I'm at my peak right now. I can, if you throw any physical thing at me, I will fucking do it. And even, um, I mean, I, I was even at that point, I was over 200 pounds and I had some of the guys on the team like this run a fucking marathon. And I was like, fuck it, send it. I don't, I hate running. I hate running. And I was like, fuck, I don't give a fuck. I mean, I didn't run the marathon, but I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'll do it. But, um, and, and it's still to this point, I don't give a fuck. I'll do it. Um, it's going to hurt, but I'm not afraid of the pain. I'm used to it. Me and pain, we go way back. I'm excited for you in a, in a future moment, if I can be candid with you for a second. Yeah, please. <clears throat> I'm going to psychoanalyze you for a second on, on camera here. Please, yeah. Okay. So, and I, I've done a lot of coaching and stuff. And, sure. And so I, I look at a guy like you, and I have a lot of love and compassion for you because you've used your pain and your willingness to endure pain as a validation for your worth. And that that has been something that has driven you, that you you know there's no depth that you cannot muster to achieve an adre- a directive. Hell yeah. And a goal and objective. Hell yeah. That's a very beautiful thing to be able to have. It's like I, I think of there's, there's very few creatures on this planet that have that gear. I mean, you look at like thoroughbred racehorses. They don't know their limit. That's why they will run until, until they dead. die. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's... It's like there's something missing. It's a good thing, but there's something missing in, in, in there for you that's, that's like making it to where like you seek and have craved that sort of just crucible of pain. It will come a point where it will be okay for you to put that away and to, and to be willing to have just bliss and joy and comfort and luxury have its place while you use that gear to go kill the buffalo, so to speak. You're going to go do your business. You're going to go do your coaching. You're going to do, and, and, and you can keep it encapsulated in this place. It's almost like, you know, Kobe Bryant type thing. It's like those 48 minutes, fuck off. Yeah. And then I have this preparation, fuck off. Everything else, he was a great dad. He was a husband. Yeah. Like he was a good business person. Mm-hmm. So I see that for you too. There's going to come a point where you're like, you're going to be able to then like kind of see through the haze and not need everything to hurt so bad. Yeah. And know when you need it to hurt, know that you can. And that's really when things are going to take off for you in a really beautiful way and powerful way in every way. Because, like, and I'm willing to bet as your wife listens back to that, like, she's thinking, like, yes, yes. Like, there's a hardness that can come with that desire for pain, but, like, you you get capped at a certain point. Because true, true joy, true happiness, true growth actually isn't hard. There comes a point where it's like you have to surrender to the idea that maybe my hard is letting it be easy. That that's a mind fuck, bro. Like your new challenge. Easy, that's not in my I know, but that's, <laughs> that doesn't compute. Okay, so how hard would that be for you to allow something to be easy? That that could be your new struggle. Well, that's well, to to counter your point. Yeah. That's why I work so fucking hard. Right. So when I reach SWAT school, that shit would be easy. Sure. But I'm talking about like, so that, that chapter of your life is done, right? Like you're not in SWAT anymore. I mean, it, once you, like that mentality is going to be with me forever. Oh, sure. The mentality. Yeah. Yes. yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm making no reference to, yeah. to. I mean, well, actually I served a warrant yesterday, so. You served a warrant? Yeah. I was on, you know, we served a warrant. Okay. How fun is that? I mean, <laughs> I love it. I miss it. You know, you're like, <laughs> I mean, I, I ran with the marshals for a few years. Um, 
And for those few years, we had one of the greatest um, supervisors for the marshals, Daryl Spencer, uh, who was the fucking man. Um, and he was he was just he just orchestrated everything beautifully. And and during those three years, uh, v, it's V Fast, the Marshall's fugitive team, uh, averaged over a thousand arrests per year. Okay. And just fucking, I mean, stories, Bryce. I bet stories. I bet, dude. Like you're dealing with a part of the population that has uh, a different, little different way of thinking about things. And that's and that's part of the reason why um, I've I've pushed myself to maintain that level of pain because um, a lot of these guys don't want to go back to prison. You know what I mean? They're not, or they're not scared to go back to prison. Those two mentalities are terrifying sure. and yeah. from a third party point of view. Um, uh, but I still, you know, um, push myself to be more horrifying than them in my mind. Okay. Whether or not they saw me like that, I don't know. But in my mind, I was the I was the I, monster. I like I like the idea of there being a moment. Maybe maybe I'm stepping on your toes in a way no. that's not fair, but but I like the idea of you knowing that can be you, but it doesn't have to be a part of your identity. No. That your identity becomes something that you just know you've got that. And that almost becomes like this little like nobody needs to know. I will crush you, but you don't need to know. It's like the it's like you walk thing. in a room and you already know how you're going to kill yeah. somebody. Yeah. yeah. Or, or like, like the SWAT guys that you met the first time and then when they walk in the room, you didn't know shit about them. They just felt away. Yeah. And you were like, Ugh. that aura, man. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I, I, I like all that. Like, you know, part of the, one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you on the show is I, I know you've got all this experience and, and, and really interesting things. And I, I love a good story, but there was a part as well that, you know, you and I have spoken offline about, you know, this desire that you have to help instill that sort of mentality into other people. So that's that that to kind of reference back to your original question, what do I what do I do now? Yeah. You know, once I achieve that, I promoted a sergeant, you know, I was top. Once I promoted a sergeant, now I'm responsible for um five or six SWAT officers. Now they're my responsibility. It's more than just like, okay, you gotta push yourself to be the best. Okay, now I got a team and that team, everything that happens to that team is on me. Yeah. Um, so now I transitioned over to, it's almost like I, I was kind of following the pattern my father was following where he was just hardcore with me and, and just like a monster with me at times. And then he transitioned over to like a teacher and instructor. And that's, I followed his footsteps in that. So it's like in Kung Fu Panda, man. Like you become Ugo. Oh, she, she fu, man. Shifu, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, uh, I mean, but you know, I so can that's, still. That's the turtle, and not, uh, the, not the mouse. The mouse is Shifu. Okay, I got kids. Okay, they know who you're talking. I got kids, um, but I uh, a present. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But um, and then after that, uh, I I promoted to lieutenant to the uh, academy for correctional officers, um, and I brought that same mindset and. It was kind of a, it was kind of a whole uh, circle where I walked into the room with these brand new cadets, and they looked at me how I feel like I was looking at the SWAT guys a few years earlier. You know, the difference was um, I was gonna instill my mindset in each and every single one of the cadets, or I was gonna get them the fuck out of my class. That was gonna be my follow up question with this: was so how do you handle it when? 
mediocrity is okay in the mind of somebody that you're dealing with. You push. I pushed the class to where they stepped the fuck up and met me at my expectations or they quit. And I didn't give a fuck. Um, My supervisor, his supervisor, they're like, no, we need as many of these guys as we can because the prison is running low. The jails are running low on staff. We need, and I was like, I don't, I'm not going to fucking put out quantity. I'm putting out quality. I don't give a shit if three guys finish my class. They're going to be the fucking top three from any of these classes. I pushed all my cadets. And every... So what does that mean to push them? Just, I led from the front. Every time we had PT, anytime we had DT, PT's physical training, DT's defensive tactics... Um, everything that I could lead from the front, I did. Any class I could teach, I did. Just to instill my mindset, just to, to, to instill the verbiage and the expectations of myself. And so that way, if they look at me and they're like, well, he's not even taking a break. He's holding himself to these standards. How the fuck am I not supposed to be able, how am I, how am I just going to skate by? And I pushed them and I called them out one by one. I instilled a level of respect so when the instructors were in the room, they were quiet as a fucking church mouse. And I would watch them like a fucking hawk. And if they made a fucking sound or were disrespectful to the instructors, I had them do push-ups right there in the fucking classroom until they collapsed to instill respect. And that's also training their bodies. Yeah. When, they're, when they have the test they got to take, I make sure to prepare them as much as I can, help them study, make sure they're getting study groups together, make, making sure they're having all the materials so they're prepared Everything I did for myself, I taught so them. So you set the standards. Exactly, and set the okay. tone on what the academy was going to be like. Okay. I've had, every time I, my class graduated, I've had, uh, you know, the warden, deputy wardens, captains would always come up to me and be like, we, we know when it's, your, when, you, when it's your cadets as opposed to the other instructors. We know when it's yours. They come in and they're ready to work. They're ready to learn. And I always put that responsibility on them. I was like, you guys know when you're down there working – if some shit hits the fan, you're somebody's backup. And you better make sure they go fucking home. And if you're not if your shit's not together and you're fucking slacking off and that person gets hurt, that's on you. How often does that happen where guards get hurt? When I was down there, um not not too often. Uh, but when they get hurt, they get fucked up. Because the you know, the inmates know if they if they cross that line. Is they're they're in serious trouble, so when they do cross that line, they, wanna make they cross count. the fuck out of that line. You Gotta know what I mean? Count. Yeah. So wow. it's just uh, and and it was really cool to see. Um, I I ran into one of my old cadets um, a few a couple months ago at the at the jail, and it was my first class I had when I transitioned from the SWAT team to the academy. And he told me, he's like, hey, so-and-so's on the SWAT team, so-and-so's on the SWAT team, so-and-so's a sergeant, so-and-so's running a canine, so-and-so's, you know, with the marshals. And it, I was like, it was like a proud dad moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I pushed all you fucking kids as hard as you could, and look at where you're at. You found it within yourself, that dumb switch. You switched that dumb switch on, and you just fucking went, and you did it, and you busted your ass, and look at where you're at. So I, I have a... I have a question for you then, because in the last couple of years, police have gotten a bad rap. Mm-hmm. How much of it is earned and how much of it is bullshit the way that they're perceived? 
you know, every, um, I would say I've been in law enforcement for 14 years. Um, I can count on four fingers the officers who I know are pieces of shit. Um, and when you say that, define what that means. Are they racist? Are they crooked? Are they, like, what are they doing? All just, the above? Um, just a, a complete lack of respect for who we're, who we're dealing with. So for me, even though I was working in the, in the prison, I still spoke and, and, and interacted with the inmates like they're human beings because they're fucking human beings. Of course, yeah. They've, they've committed some atrocious crimes, some of them. And some of them not as not as horrible as the others, but it didn't matter. Every single one of them tr- I treat like a human being. Yeah, they're a person. Yeah. They're absolutely a person, and and ninety percent of them are going to come back out to society, you know. Um, and I've seen a few officers in the prison, outside on the streets, um, just have a complete lack of respect for people, and I I can't fuck with people like that. I, I I can't stand people that actively disrespect someone else. Right. Have you ever been around uh, a situation where somebody was unlawfully killed by law enforcement? No. No. Good. But I jumped in the way. Really? Before someone actually was. Wow. Can you tell that story? I won't name names. Of course. I don't want um, to. There's a situation. His name is Bob. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? No, um, uh, there's a situation where uh, there was a fugitive uh, that was on the run. This officer had made contact with them. I, I knew this fugitive. Um, I had interacted with this fugitive. I have arrested this fugitive previously, and he and I had a decent rapport. You know, I wasn't a dick to him. I arrested him, but I wasn't a dick to him, and he wasn't disrespectful to me. Um, anyway, so this officer knew where he was. Uh, because this fugitive called him and said, hey, I'm going to turn myself in. I'm going to be over here. You can come pick me up. Like, and so this officer came and grabbed me. He's like, hey, uh, can you roll with me to go pick him up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we roll over there. Dude's sitting there just like he said. Uh, the officer pulls a car up to where I was in the passenger. He pulls up to where my door's right by him, like three, four feet away. I open the door. He jumps out, pulls his gun. He's like, get your fucking hands in the air. I jump in the way. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he's telling the, the officer, fucking shoot me. Fucking do it. I called you here. Fucking shoot me. And I, I jumped in the middle. I mean, I knew he, he had his gun yeah. out, and I knew he – I was – fuck, I, I didn't know. I was hoping he wouldn't shoot right. if I jumped in the middle because I knew this dude. Yeah, he, he, he committed a lot of shitty crimes, but I knew him. You know what I mean? He had two little girls, you know what I mean? And so, and I knew the officer too. Right. Um, and so I jumped in the middle and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, hey, hold on, you know, chill out. I was like, put your fucking gun away, dude. And so he, he chilled out eventually. It took him a couple minutes to kind of like come down from the, from the black. And I pulled this, you know, I pulled the fugitive aside. I was like, hey, man, like, just you good. We're good. Like, I, I got this. Like, you're, you're with me. Okay, I'll, I'll make sure nothing happens. Like, it's, I got you. He's like, fuck, fucking Peterson. Like, what the fuck is that, dude? I called him to, like, yeah. pick me up. I told him where the fuck Did I was. Did you ever get to talk to that officer after the fact and be like, yo, bro, what the fuck? Uh, not in those words. <laughs> but um, It's called a rear naked choke in BJJ, you know? Yeah, man. And, you know, it's just, and um, I don't fuck, I can't fuck with people like that. 
You know what I mean? Well, it's just disrespectful. It's and it's it's an escalation of a situation that a hundred percent did not need escalation. But that you know, and and that's true. And that being said, that's a very small percentage of of the law enforcement officers that I've I've interacted with. I'd say ninety nine percent of the law enforcement you know that I've interacted with um, try their very fucking best. Okay, so let me let, let's let's break that down. I because I really want to break this mold of this narrative about because right now it's very easy. It's so simple to be like, yo, cops suck, man. And there's this defund the police nonsense, mm-hmm. like all this. Stuff, I mean, they're walking it back, which is hilarious. But so you said you've known four cops that were shit. How many cops would you say over the course of your fourteen years? in a cumulative number, have you met? Seven, eight hundred. Okay, so seven. So you're looking then at, so if you're saying, let's go 700 to be fair, so 10% of that's 70, 1% of that is seven. So you're talking about half a percent, basically, of the cops out there are shit. In, in my experience. In your experience. Okay, so... I think that's fair. So if you look at how many police officers are there in the United States total, do you have any idea? Millions. I don't know. Millions, really? Yeah. Okay. So that's a bigger number than if you have half of a percent. So mm-hmm. let's say there's Absolutely. two million. Absolutely. Then you have 2,000 shit cops is, is 1%. or half. So that would be 1,000 shit cops is going to be – that's a lot of cops, man. That's a lot of cops. So that means the standards got to be high. That's why they're making – and the, and those are you and, cool with measures like having to have body cam and all that stuff to like yeah. keep accountability for hell police? yeah good hell yeah I still cuss on camera you know what I'm saying like but like <laughs> I don't think the cussing is the problem I mean we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to um, is that th- you're not supposed to say we're bad not words? supposed to but I excuse me sir <laughs> would you please pull your <laughs> Impala over or whatever <laughs> that's the hard, that's been the hardest transition for me is like you know my uh, try not to cuss but. Um, yeah, I mean, I came from the prison. I came from, you know, the SWAT team. I came from, you know, the Fugitive Task Force. So I just, that's the lingo. That's how they talk. That's how I talked. Um, but when I'm going to, you know, you know, the nice little lady down the street that's calling because, you know, she's hearing noise in the backyard, I can't talk to her like that. And I shouldn't talk to her like that. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that sounds like a comedy is what it'd be. Like you know, something. it's like, there's no one fucking back here. What? What are we doing? No, no. <laughs> Yo, but, bitch, um, what you... <laughs> but yeah, to kind of to kind of get back to your point, man, um, I... I can't stand cops like that. There are cops like that. There are. And there's probably more um, than I know of, obviously, that, that I interacted with, even yeah. myself. Um, but the, the, they have no place in law enforcement. They need to get the fuck out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it sounds like, it sounds like that good cops are squeezing them out. What's happening? I fucking hope so. And there's, there's, I mean, there's a ton of great cops. There's a ton yeah. of great cops that bust their ass every day. That are that are working hours they're not getting paid for to try and help at least in our detectives unit that are really trying to help solve these cases for these victims and be there for them and, and right. get them the resources they need and do whatever they can to help you know restore some semblance of normalcy for these people you know um, it's not in our job description to do that but that's the type of people that yeah. they are you know so before before we talk about your 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 coaching and, and some of those things there I, I got kind of a I've always wondered about this. And because you're a detective for family crimes, yeah. I feel safe asking you this without it, like blowing you up. <laughs> so you always hear these like stories of like these big busts where there's lots of cash involved. Mm-hmm. A cop comes on the scene and they got on, there's like, you know, 200 grand or something yep. sitting there. You're telling me that 
There's not like a P&A fee. The cop gets to skim off that stack of t- racks on that. Look, um, if it was up to me, yeah, we're, we're taxing the shit out of that. <laughs> Hell yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but with the, like the civil search and seizure law, like it would make sense that you could like as a cop. But yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not cool with that regardless because I have another one of my guests. Actually, I would recommend you listen to this podcast. Okay. Go back and listen to the Weston Winter okay. uh, episode. He was, uh, he was uh, raided by the DEA. In Colorado, he had a legal cannabis operation, and he got caught in like this thing that was a federal deal. He was legally able to in the state of Colorado like do that, and the feds came in on this weird thing, and they it ended up costing about a million bucks because they took a bunch of his shit and he couldn't ever get it back. And it took like he went to jail, the whole thing, and he was a hundred percent legal. He'd never done nothing wrong. Damn. And so it's like every time I hear stories like that, I'm like, where'd all your money go? He's like, I don't know, somewhere. Those fucking cops took it. <sighs> So I, I don't know. I know I um I've booked money in evidence. Okay. Um I should know. I've been a cop for 14 years. I don't know what happens to the money. I don't know if it goes to the city. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm not driving in, you know, in a in a G Wagon or anything, but no, um I'm not a cop either. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're smart. You're smart. Um I I I think I heard uh, back in the day, when when the marshals would seize vehicles, yeah, uh, once it cleared, you know, their court cases and all that stuff, um, they turned them around and used them as undercover cars. That makes sense. Yeah, that <laughs> that makes me want to be undercover. <laughs> so I, it's, one that's, of my, it's dude, a lot of fun. One of my favorite movies is the new Miami Vice movie. Well, it's not new anymore, but it had Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx in it. Where they're in, in Miami Dade, like they're down in oh, South yeah, Beach, yeah. and then they get that task force. Like there's an inner like agency task force because there was a leak, and they ended up, you know, getting into this big massive drug ring and stuff. But he's driving around an F430 Ferrari. They're on these. He's got these cigar go fast yep. boats that's a part yep. of their cover and everything. I'm like, and the other part of that movie that I thought was interesting, and I don't know if you've ever seen this before, is they had like informants that like. So if there was a drug deal that would go down and it was a multi-million dollar deal, these informants would get a cut, like 15% of the cut for lining it up. Um, so I, I, don't, I, I don't think our CIs get um, a cut of anything like that, but I know um, most agencies pay CIs. Okay. They pay them. Is it like good pay or is it like so, a gift card to Red Robin? Well, don't use it all um, once. let me put it this way. For, uh, from what I, my experience, what I've seen – um, the Marshall's CIs got paid enough that they, some of them made that their full-time job, snitching. <laughs> so, yeah, so you, they can get paid. Dude, that, that's like that that one character in that Miami Vice show. He's like got this penthouse. He's on the top floor of this thing in, in down on Biscayne Boulevard. And they're like, you live a life of crime. That's why you <laughs> have to get the... Anyway, wow. Yeah. What a crazy world, man. Do you believe the war on drugs is good, or do you think it's stupid? I seen I seen some some horrific things that drugs do. Um, so yeah, I mean I know it's like we're barely putting a dent in it. But at well, least I think it's because it's a misappropriation of what actually needs. Like weed, fuck out of here, dude. Leave it alone. Dr- alcohol, sure. Like the fentanyl stuff coming across the border. A lot of those hard drugs. Like yeah, keep them away. Yeah, it's- I mean. Meth, heroin, I mean, that's that stuff, it just tears people up. Yeah. Tears people up. And, um, yeah, I know it'll it'll never be solved. 
probably. Um, well, it's because humans are always going to, they're always looking for because, ways yeah, to Because, yeah, people are, people are always looking for it. You know what I mean? Um, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And you, you hear about these busts on the border. These cartels, they do that shit on purpose. They send a decoy car on purpose so that these four or five other trucks coming through, yeah. they get by. Because, yeah. oh, you busted this one with two, three pounds of dope. That's the thing that makes me laugh, that people like think these cartels are just a bunch of like tribal no. savages. That, and I'm like, bro, they are no. more in, like more organized. Than that shit is a well-oiled machine, oh, unfortunately. Oh, dude, it's a corporation at that yeah. point. Like yeah. we're talking, this is Apple or you know Google or some shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's respectable in one way, but it's like, I mean, really? That's your product? And the whole idea of like a decoy and things like that, like they don't. They calculate for loss. Yeah, they, it's just like it's just like any retail business. Yeah. They they crunch in the numbers like okay, we're gonna have this our loss for our loss is gonna be seven percent, and yep. we're gonna be fine. Yeah, exactly. They still they still rake in more money than what they know what to do with. I'm curious how uh, if it's been a banner year for the cartels because of how civvy the border is, and there's just you can just walk right across and all that shit. Uh, uh, I mean, it's. I mean, according to our vice president, our border is secure, which is good to know, but. You know, two hundred thousand migrants a month. I'm a man. I don't I'm know, wearing man, a gray that shirt. Might, that seems so <laughs> secure. Anyway, all right. So, so you have a desire to help other dudes get this dumb switch. Anybody, you know what I mean. Um, and anyone can achieve this, but hardly anyone can. It's it's, Wait, it's a little confusing. Anyone can achieve this, but hardly anyone will. Okay, not anyone can. Sorry, anyone will. Because this this shit is is not easy, right? It's not easy at all to to find your limit and push through that shit it's every simple, single day. It's easy to find your limit. It's simple. It's not easy. It's, there's very few steps. Oh no! When you when you start to hurt, like oh fuck, there it is. Yeah, that's it. And that's where most people like they push till it hurts. Yeah, you know, no pain, no gain. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, more than you know, and um. I just want to help people achieve that. Uh, I came from very modest beginnings. Um, I still have a modest life right now. Um, I'm not in it for fame or fortune. I'm in it because I have this knowledge. Um, and like you said, now what? It's it's doing nothing sitting here with me. And I'm okay. I'm I woke up this morning three, and I, I went running this morning, um, and I hit the gym before I already got here. Was that okay? I'm I'm doing good, you know. I'm about to hit forty, and, I, and my kids still can't keep up with me. You know, that's a, a you know a proud dad moment. But yeah. who, who, who's that going to benefit? You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's just taking a page out of my dad's book and and taking a page out of of my own life experience. Seeing the cadets in the academy, seeing my guys on the SWAT team, really benefit from my mindset and and being able to push them and help kind of push them through it. And so like, here's what you do. Okay, fucking go do it. Yeah. No. You. I love that, man. Like there's a, you know, the, the men nowadays, especially, they, they crave leadership. They crave guidance. They want to be a part of a tribe. Well, there's, it's a, um, it's a different, it's a different society nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we grew up in where, you know. Action movies was like Arnold and Stallone and Van Damme, the and, yeah, and they're yeah. just shooting and killing everybody and, and just like jump kicking the shit out of everybody. That's don't you know forget what that mean? Christmas movie, Die Hard, man. That's right. 
UBKA, but <laughs> it's it's a different you know it's a different society. We've we've really grown in a lot of areas in society, but I think we've digressed in some areas too. And I think that that one of the areas is having that mindset of like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it, and I can fucking do it, and I'm gonna fucking show you. Well, to add to that, we society has made it. All of the things that make you miserable are being touted as okay now, like things like being lazy and porn. And well, shit, we got we got delivery services for every fucking thing in the world now. Yeah, I know you can you can never leave the house. I mean, I know the pandemic kind of ushered that in even quicker, but we were headed that way. I mean, you can order anything from the house, and you never have to leave the fucking house. Yeah. Well, there's other aspects of that too that I think that you're about that are great. It's like people dressing sloppy, and you know just. Not giving a shit, like actually not having. It's goals. like have some self respect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Present yourself. Like when 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 there's no borders or like anything or boundaries, but put in place on what is required, it's actually more painful for children and adults to live. Like we need to know where the line is because it creates psychological safety. Every you know, people need structure. A lot of you know, yeah. um, in order to to really understand. Um, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what you can do, what you can't, well, what you shouldn't do. Um, yeah, I, uh, our kids at home, we, we structure the hell out of them. You know what I mean? Um, we don't, I don't like the way where everything's okay, everything's allowed, everybody gets a medal. No, no. Yeah, it's not life. No, that's not real life. And, and like you said, you know, if I were to do that with my kids, I'm setting my kids up to fail. What a, what a crazy thing that the only reason ideas like ideas like that as far as like the you know participation trophies and all that the only way ideas like that take place is in a society that is so wealthy that you're bored nobody has to fight for shit it's yeah. not like you're worried about you know the cougar killing your camp in the middle of the no. night like there's no fear no. and so we manufacture fear because our like we Joe Rogan talks about this really eloquently where he says that if you look at like the history of revolutions specific to development so mm -hmm. you had like the you know the renaissance was a revolution of of uh, expression and creativity of sorts with all these new books and paintings and Michelangelo and you know philosophy yeah I think Plato. I remember him kind of mentioning that cycle yeah and then he's like we had the industrial revolution and mm -hmm. you know and it took you know people out of the farm fields and into the cities and they're building this shit and everything. And then you have the, you know, uh, trains became planes and cars. And, and then now we're in a technological revolution with how quickly information is disseminated. And he says, we're fucking it up because our brains can't handle it. Like we are shitting the bed every day with how we handle the onslaught of having endless amount of information. We have more, everybody has a supercomputer in their yeah. pocket. Yeah. Like the social media, the way that it plays with your dopamine levels and, and, and the way that you seek and crave attention from likes and engagement and all the, all the stuff that's there. Like we're truly idiots. We can't handle it. No. And so what's happening then is because of that, we are having manufactured crises be a new way of us overcoming some sort of thing. So instead of Oh, we we avoided the saber toothed tiger and ended up killing him, and now we're going to have that for dinner, and that's our you know. It's, it's now it's like oh, we've we've taken up these bigots that don't put their pronouns in their bio or whatever, and we make stories give stories legs that are bullshit. Well, it's 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 like, and I agree with you completely. Um, it's like we you know this generation sees history what they had to go through 
you know what I mean? And, and all the struggles and the shit that they had to go through. And now, um, I'm not saying there isn't shit nowadays, but it's nothing compared to, you know, history and some of the horrible shit they had to go through. You know what I mean? Well, Even, this is how we know the shit that we're talking about is, is nonsensical. It goes away when you turn your TV off. And, that, and that's, and that's to hour. your point that you're exactly right. So they fabricate something like, oh, I'm going through some shit too. Yeah. You're, you're fucking not. You're not. You're like, oh, is it so hard to have a supercomputer? That when you I first Google I mean, anything, literally. I, I might get Toro for this, but, and you can tear me up if you want. But when I first heard about cyberbullying, I fucking <laughs> thought that shit was a fucking joke. Like, this is a Saturday Live skit? I was like, cyberbullying? They're making fun of me on the internet. Well, fucking turn off, get off the site. Yeah. Block them. Turn off your phone. Like, solved. Yeah. Well, you know, dude, to me, well, here's the like, family crime thing. Like, cyberbullying actually has a lot of, it's a weird thing, man, because it's like. No, it's, it's, that's, that's when I first kids, heard about yeah, it. Yeah, those kids give, they, they give attention to well, that. Well, everyone's and, so entrenched online now. Yeah. Their life, everyone's life is online now. Did you, by chance, uh, watch it when uh, Zuckerberg was on Rogan recently? No, I didn't. I, I've been meaning to watch that, Dude, actually. So he was talking about, you know, Facebook is now called Meta, is yeah. the p- parent company. And he is like this geek that's total into the AR, VR space, like augmented realities. Mm-hmm. And, and he's talking about, like, what they've been working on lately is, like, they, they're trying to create deeper emotional connection online. And so, like, in these augmented reality or virtual reality spaces, one of the things that's missing is eye contact. And so they have these new technology and these and the Oculus stuff that like you can legitimately look at somebody's eyes and digitally those two You're mechanisms are like yeah and, and there's all sorts of more like facial expression shit that's going on there and I'm like bro this is some Minority Report shit here dude. you like, you seen have you seen that movie uh, Ready Player One yeah I love that movie that's 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 what I think of when what you when you were explaining that yeah everybody's in their house all hooked up to their their uh, you know uh, virtual reality shit. They're totally disconnected from the real world and just so focused and, and obsessed with being online. Yeah. That's the fucking... You, you saying that reminds me of that opening scene where it shows like the chick on the stripper pole in her freaking trailer or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. She got her fucking big Who's ass goggles on. and virtual she... stripping, bro. Like, <laughs> are they throwing Bitcoins at her from the stage or some <laughs> shit? Like, <laughs> Make your money, dude. You know, don't... Cha-cha-ching, cha-cha-ching. Anyway, dude, so... So, uh, I don't know, man, I... I'm excited to kind of watch you continue to thrive and to grow more in that space of leadership for men. Because as I, you know, this morning, as I shared earlier, I got to hang out a little bit with Tim Grover and he said yeah. something about leadership that made me think of what you're talking about here. And he says that leaders, leaders don't think leaders know. He's like, if you find yourself thinking as a leader, you need to fucking step out and know, do your research. Like yeah. a leader isn't somebody that sits up and goes, you know what I think we should do? This is what I think we should do. A leader shows up and goes, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And here's why we're doing it. Agreed. And there's a different power with that. And he talked about how, you know, both Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, those guys, they led from the front, which was Mm -hmm. a phrase I heard you say. And they required a lot of everybody around them. Um, And they were fine to be isolated and to be alone sometimes and to like have to deal with, you know, this, the other pot that I shared over that example of like where it's late nights and early mornings and sometimes it's lonely and winning is a bitch. Multiple times a day, like every day, day in, day out. Winning is a bitch, but it's addictive. It, it is, Bryce, it is, you know, and, and when you, when you actually see what you can accomplish by pushing past what you thought was your limit 
Yeah. It'll blow your fucking mind. Said, I know I know you've been there. Yeah. I know you know from what we've talked about before, you know, you've you've accomplished that. So you can speak to it yourself, you know, and so but it's for people that feel like I, I'm not I'm not built like that. You know what I mean? I wasn't built like this when I tried out for the SWAT team. I was thirty pounds heavier. I thought I was the fucking man. No, I had to find that within myself, but I'm not the the key here is you don't have to dig like I did by myself. You don't have to try and, and f- locate it and do a, a soul searching and trying to find that place inside yourself. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Well, the idea of, you know, Roger Bannister was the guy that first ran a four minute mile, you know? Yeah. And it was crazy. That record had never been broken. And then once it was, they said it was everybody not could humanly break it. possible. Yeah. And then afterwards, everybody did it. It was like three months later, someone else broke it. So there's something to be said of a living example in front of you to inspire you and show you what's possible because of how our brains work, dude. Like yeah. our brains copy everything. Mm-hmm. If we can see somebody else doing it, it legitimately shortens the time of what it would actually take if you had no point of reference of how to actually achieve it. Exactly. That. Exactly. It's a beautiful thing. You put the fucking blinders on. And just go to work. Go to work. Yeah, he said too as well. He's like, uh, everybody's told to reach for the stars. You want to reach for the stars? He goes, when do you see the stars best? When it's nighttime. Yes, it's sir. Dark everywhere. Yes, sir. So get in the dark, my man. I love it, Ooh. man. I love it. I love working. I'm in- like, Timmy, shut up. <laughs> I love it. Killing it. I love it. So, uh, producer C, you got any, uh, got any uh, current events for us or no? Not today. No current event. You're so special. Your brother decided to not do his job, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> he knew. He's like, man, that, my brother won't shut the hell up. He'll just talk the whole time. <laughs> Which is fine, dude. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. No, I, I, thanks for having me. I, I was really excited about it. Dude, this is fun. Like, I, you're a rare breed nowadays, man. Like, the, the true alpha that just doesn't put up with nonsense and, and pushes forward. And I can sense even, you know, like, I can tell you – you're a hard ass, you know, but there's a, there's a benevolence there too. Like there's a, a tenderness I can tell that's there. That's well, I, I attribute that to my dad as well, and and my sweetheart. Um, she helped. She taught me a lot of things, yeah. you know, about like you said, you don't have to be hard all the time. That she really she really helped, you know, uh, introduce that idea to me, um, a lot sooner than I thought. But um, I'm grateful for that too, because to to try and keep it on the whole time. Um, my kids don't want to grow up like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, there's aspects where, you know, I, I institute that, but they don't want to grow up like that. I don't, you know, I, that's how I grew up, you know, on edge all the time. And yeah. so you're right. You know, when it makes it tough to like have them feel a safety towards coming to you if you're always. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to be unapproachable. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know my kids are going to, are, are going to go through some shit and they're going to make some stupid decisions. I still want to be that dad where, um, they feel, you know, they can approach me without, like, I'm going to rip their fucking head off. I, I don't want to be like that. Their mom will do it. <laughs> Please. Uh, but, no, but there's a time and a place, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I I just, um, I can't remember who I heard say this, but uh, it was a seal. And he said, even after you're done, like, for me, it's SWAT. Um you got to reestablish yourself as a savage. Yeah. You got to maintain that. Um, and that really stuck with me lately. I still, you know, I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to grow. Um, I still push myself physically, but now it's more of the mental, mental side of things where I'm trying, I'm just really trying to expand, you know, my idea on 
how else I can push myself to be better. I'm excited for you to reach that point where you're like, my challenge is I got to make things easy. And that's going to be your hard. Right? I can't wait for that, too. Yeah, you're like, I don't, I still. so fucking hard to make it easy, man. Just, <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch. I know. I can't Beautiful wait. thing, man. You see it happen. Yeah. I mean, it even happened to Kobe, dude. He retired. He didn't lose his savagery. Like, I heard stories of him as an investor. I mean, he won an Oscar. He won an Oscar for sure. So there's a there's a guy that I've been following for a long time. His name's Chris Saka. He's the CEO and founder of a of a venture cap fund called Lowercase Capital, and they mm. were one of the first. Uh, they invested in Twitter and Instagram first. Like they were Uber. Like this guy's, I think he's my age. 40. I, mean, I, I think Kobe got in on Body Armor pretty soon, pretty early on yep, too. Under Armour, yeah. Um, there was it was Body Armor first, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but Chris would tell these stories. He's like he'd get these messages from like Kobe at like three in the morning, where he's just like, bro. I'm researching this thing and I'm trying to like, so he was relentless in whatever he did, but it's the same mindset. Yeah. But he, he, he also was like his primary job at that time was to be a dad. He wanted his daughters to play in the WNBA. He Mm -hmm. wanted to be the, you know, best dad possible. It's one of those things where like, I I have myself getting angry sometimes. And I think about the unnecessary passing that he went through. Just don't fucking fly the helicopter when it's out there. Foggy motherfucker. Oh man. He, you know, he, but he just flew that me, so many times. Well, though, dude, you know there's a mean? part of me, though, that was like where Kobe might have been like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Let's do it. Bro. Yeah. Like he was hard. He's like, no, nah, she, she got a game. We, yeah. We're going. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that, too. Yeah. Anyway, what a way to end the conversation. Yeah. R.I.P. Kobe. Yeah. So, Dane Peterson, where do people find you? Well, we're working on that right now. Okay. So, um, right now you can find me at Sandy PD if you want to meet <laughs> me in person. Um but no, no Instagram, no. I'm I'm off the grid. You're man. the guy. You're the like, one guy that doesn't have it. So yeah, okay. no, no, no social media. That's how unplugged and focused I was on getting my shit together and okay. pushing myself to the next level. I didn't. I wanted no distractions. Okay. Well, we got to change that. Coach. I know that's got to change now. Um, and I got my brother here to help me with that side of things. Um, that's where he excels. And so, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna work on that. Okay. Well, then, uh, I guess if you're in the Salt Lake City area and you get pulled over, say Dane Peterson was heard on Stand Up's <laughs> podcast, and maybe they'll give you a warning. <laughs> <laughs> or anyway. if they don't like me, they might give you a bigger ticket. Yeah, like, I remember that dude. <clears throat> he got in the way when I was trying Fuck to shoot Dane. a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Dane. Anyway, okay, guys. So, again, thanks so much for listening to, and watching Stand Up. Uh, if this message resonated with anything we talked about was good, please share with a friend. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind, if you really liked it, go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. Hell yeah. And uh, until next time, see you.